from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this is actually the final episode of season two, as uh, this will be the last of the off-season previews, and then uh, next week we will be ramping up towards the 2019-20 NBA season. This week we've got a, a very special guest. He's a sports business classroom alum, Stuart Zahn. Stuart, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett, as always. Now, uh, Stuart, you've uh, you've been on the program a couple of times, and uh, anybody that's a fan of Duncan Dynasty knows that uh, Stuart knows uh, quite a bit about the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's worked with the organization in the past. For this particular episode, we're going to talk all things uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, break down a lot of their uh, a lot of their moves this off season, and project them moving forward for next season. And then at the end of the episode. I thought uh, since last episode uh, with, with Evan Siegel, I broke down Dirk Nowitzki's legacy. I thought it'd be fun to uh, also discuss the other legend that retired this past season, and that is Dwayne Wade. So we're going to talk a little bit of, uh, of uh, D. Wade's status in the, in the history of the game as well. But uh, first off, Stuart, uh, the, the NBA draft was, uh, was, was a pretty interesting one and, uh, and jam-packed with drama. And the Timberwolves were right there involved in it. Uh, they, they initially went into the draft with the 11th overall selection, but actually traded up, traded that 11th pick along with a solid rotation piece Dario Saric to move up to the 6th pick, which was owned by Phoenix. They ended up taking Jarrett Culver, a, uh, a sophomore out of Texas Tech, a, a wing, a 2 or a 3. Uh, what are your thoughts on that young prospect? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Culver. I mean, when you're thinking about the position that the Timberwolves were in heading into the draft with the 11th pick, there weren't real big uh, difference makers in that area of the draft. Like, there was, there's certain guys I liked. I mean, there's a lot of buzz for, for Brandon Clark on draft Twitter to, to fit perfectly with Towns. Um, he's a guy I liked, uh, Grant Williams, possibly. That might have been too early um, compared to what how other NBA teams ranked him. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was a guy I liked for the Wolves. Um, but none of those guys were really... Uh, uh, they were in like a certain tier, and the tier above that was where guys like uh, Garland and Culver were. And I think... The Timberwolves pretty much spent Sarge to get into that next tier, and they were looking to to make another move with Cleveland to get their guy because I think what they they wanted Garland is what I believe, but they were uh, they're willing to settle on on Culver, who I think is also um, a good get for them as like a, a 
potential bigger initiator. Um, so I think it was a solid move. I like him as a player. He's a solid two-way guy. He'll he'll be able to produce as as a rookie, I think, because a lot of attention is going to be on Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's going to get put in a lot of advantage situations, which I think he'll be able to exploit. Yeah, it uh, it was a fascinating decision. You know, there was uh, obviously the Timberwolves are interested in in uh, in getting a point guard to pair with Towns. We'll talk about a a rumor for a young point guard that they might be interested in trading for a little bit later on. Um, I wonder who that could be. Yeah, but uh, there was there was also another point guard that was available around that six range in Kobe White. Uh, from from North Carolina, he eventually was drafted by the Bulls, a, a pick later at number seven. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it, it's interesting to me. Yeah, maybe you're right that that Garland was just uh, the Timberwolves had him significantly ahead of White and didn't find White to be good enough at, at at that position. But then also the the interesting part about Culver, you know, the the Timberwolves obviously have still a young, talented player in Andrew Wiggins, but obviously he's He's disappointed quite a bit in his career. Does this draft pick kind of spell maybe uh, Wiggins getting a little bit less time and maybe pushed further down the rotation? I don't think so. Um, I think it's just one of Gerson Rosas' uh, plans going into the, the offseason was to, to get more defenders um, and just having more wing defenders, more wing options on the defensive end of the floor was a focal point. Um, that's why I think going with the bigger Culver over a guy like Kobe White kind of like supported that decision. Yeah, Culver, certainly I think his strength as a prospect is that defensive versatility. He's got pretty good size for a two. Uh, he's, uh, he seems to be pretty stout as well. Uh, he, he moves his feet well. He seems to be a high IQ player. Uh, the concerns for me about him would be the, the jump shot and his ability on the offensive end, but, uh, Certainly, uh, he's he's got some some decent upside and and could be a, a pretty productive player for the Timberwolves. Uh, another draft pick they ended up taking in the second round is a, a shooting guard out of Washington, Jalen Noel. What do you know about uh, about that youngster? Yeah, so I didn't do a lot of work on him going into the draft, um, but after looking at some film on him, I think he's got some pretty polished like offensive game off the dribble going into pull-ups. He's got a pretty soft touch on those. Form looks really good. Um, I don't know how many opportunities he's going to get uh, like in, a, in the NBA game. It's possible he'll get plenty of options, plenty of looks in, in G League action. Um, but considering like the, the contract that he signed, three years, 3.7, I think the other two years are non-guaranteed. When you have a deal structured like that, it's got potential for a lot of upside. Yeah, and again, adding just uh, another another wing player and 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 building that uh, that position, which you know to me is the is the most important position in the NBA. If you've got it, and, and of course Minnesota's already got the the big man of the future in in Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, another interesting move they made. In the offseason is uh, acquiring Jake Lehman via sign-and-trade from the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Lehman signed a three-year, $11.5 million deal. It ended up almost being a little bit of a swap because uh, Anthony Tolliver, who was on Minnesota last year, who 
plays the same position that uh, stretch four ended up going to the Blazers. So how do you feel about that as far as that swap? Um, I think going younger is like was one of the emphases of, of the offseason for um, the Timberwolves. And, you know, I like Lehman. I, I've liked him, watching him in Portland. I think he's a solid rotation player. Um, athletic guy, can hit some threes. You know, he's a guy that is the type of player you want playing off of Towns. I think he, he has some good cuts. Um, so it's an option for Towns to find him on a cut. And he can spot up too, so it's a good fit with Towns. Yeah, he uh, he had moments in Portland where uh, he shot the ball really well. He certainly uh, that that is going to predicate a lot of his value is his ability to knock down those three point shots. Um, another move that I I thought was uh, one of the best moves the Timberwolves made all off season was uh, taking advantage of the Golden State Warriors cap situation where they had to make a, a salary dump essentially. The Timberwolves were able to pick up Shabazz Napier and Travion Graham. Again, those guys were were, uh, were acquired by Golden State in that D'Angelo Russell sign-and-trade. And since the Warriors were hard-capped, they couldn't afford those guys, and, and Minnesota got them basically for nothing. Yeah, I mean, again, another solid pickup of, of two you know, NBA players. And, and I think, you know, looking ahead with Ryan Saunders now as, you know, the coach removing the interim tag, that he he likes to, he'll play anyone, you know, if, if players are playing well, he'll play them, um, and I think it's really going to benefit him to have a whole roster full of guys who can come out onto the floor and, you know, have a chance to, to prove themselves. Yeah, you know, adding NBA rotation caliber pieces is always nice, and especially if uh, they're on really manageable contracts. That's uh, that's uh, that's pretty profitable for the organization. Uh, another couple of guys that uh, the T Wolves acquired for pretty cheap was uh, Jordan Bell from the uh, from the Golden State Warriors. He signed a one year minimum contract. You know, he had a bit of a disappointing season last year. But uh, for some reason, he also kind of got in Steve Kerr's doghouse. Uh, but but he certainly is a very promising, young, talented center. And then also Noah Vonleh, a guy that can play the four or the five, has shown a little bit of, of, of an ability to, to stretch the floor, but then also is a, is a pretty darn good rebounder. Uh, and, and he signed a, just a one-year, $2 million contract. So, you know, bolstering the front court with a couple of players, uh, you know, and, and doing so without really... Uh, sacrificing anything from a salary cap perspective. Yeah, and I think the salary cap perspective is really important for the Timberwolves and all their decisions because they got, you know, two guys on the 25% maxes where, you know, makes everything else pretty tight, especially when you're paying Gorgie Jang $16 million. Um, so any of those moves that are on the margins, you got to win if you're the Timberwolves. Um, I really like the Vonley pickup. He provides a lot of versatility defensively. You know, watching him last season, I thought he was one of the better players guarding Giannis. I mean, obviously, you're not always going to have success against Giannis. Um, but I thought he played him decently. Um, so I like I liked him as a pickup. I think he can play with Towns at, as the four. Um, and I think that makes him a really big front court. Um, and then you start pairing them with some of the wing defenders they got, Josh Akogi, um, potentially Culver, and you have a, 
a pretty stingy defense, possibly. Yeah, Von Lay was a guy that uh, I was super high on in his draft class, and uh, you know he he showed the potential in in his college days at Indiana of being a, a big that could could shoot the three. I think he shot forty percent from three in college, and then also protect the rim and switch. And he he's shown a little bit of the latter two, and and the jump shot has. Uh, has largely been a disappointment, but uh, he's extended it a little bit over the, the previous couple of years, and, and there's still a potential there. The guy is still you know, in his mid-20s at this point, so uh, there, there is still an opportunity for him to grow a little bit. Uh, but, but you're exactly right. I think the, the, the pairing of him and, and Towns is, is pretty solid. They, they acquired Ty Wallace and uh, off of waivers from the Clippers. Uh, he can kind of operate as that third point guard behind the likes of... Uh, of Teague and Napier, and then they also uh, signed undrafted big man Naz Reed. Uh, the the big absence, though, from from last year's group that they let go is uh, is of course Derek Rose, and and Rose had a a pretty good bounce back year last season, averaged over 18 points a game, and and of course had that crazy game in which he went for 50 against the Utah Jazz. How big of a uh, absence is Rose going to be from this roster this season? So Rose came out the gates last season and was hitting, you know, 40% from three. Um, And then down the stretch of the season, he wasn't even shooting them. Um, So I think if you were to look at his numbers, he he can, he creates shots. Um, My problem with it was a lot of times when he was sharing the floor with Towns, he was ending up taking shots rather than, you know, feeding Towns the ball. Um, And obviously last year was a really hard year to in terms of team chemistry um but i think we lose a lot of shot creation with him leaving i think the bigger loss is is tyus jones um who signed with with memphis on that offer sheet it was a pricey offer sheet to match so i think it was the right decision to let him go and i think shabazz and apier can can fill some of that role you know, the point guard situation is going to be the, the toughest going into next season, especially with, with Teague starting and, and Napier being the backup. It's it's not a great defensive uh, position for us. Yeah, so speaking to that, uh, that point guard position, of course, Teague, I believe, is on an expiring contract this year. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, there, there is a lot of talk in, in the rumor mill that, uh, the, that the Timberwolves are, are very much interested in D'Angelo Russell. They were interested in him this offseason, but Golden State came in and, uh, and uh, were able to, to snag him and, and sign him to that uh, four-year, $117 million contract. Uh, but uh, it doesn't seem to me that uh, the, the Timberwolves' interest in him has faded at all. And, of course, Golden State with, with Steph Curry on the roster, it doesn't necessarily seem to be the greatest fit with, with Curry and Russell together. So how likely do you, do you see it as, as, as a possibility that the Timberwolves will, will go after Russell at the trade deadline? And, and what sort of package would you, would you imagine they'd send uh, the Warriors' way? So, I mean, initially when I, when I heard those Russell rumors, um, I was pretty skeptical just because of the Timberwolves cap situation. Um, and I just thought, oh, this this is impossible. And then, like, the rumors just kept coming, and it, it seemed like it gained a lot of heat. And 
And then that's when I actually started to believe it. And then that's when Golden State swooped in. So, I mean, like, if there's any deal that's done, uh, it's gonna, Covington's gonna have to be part of the deal. And I think getting Covington back from injury is actually gonna be the, the biggest pickup of the offseason, really, is getting him back healthy. I think getting D'Angelo Russell would, you know, it's really tough because I think there's a little bit of a trade-off there because Wolves are just outside the top 10 in offensive rating. I think Russell could vault them into the top 10, um, but I don't think he's going to help us defensively very much. Um, so it's just whether you think that trade-off is going to be worth it. Um, we're already a bottom five defensive team. Um, so it's going to be, it's it's just the, what you value. So, I mean, we do need some shot creation. So overall, it, it might be the best move to make. Part of the reason why we weren't able to get a deal done is because, I mean, looking at the cap situation, it, it almost seems like Wiggins has to be part of a deal. And that's that's a tough sell. Yeah, um, I, I've heard a I've heard a potential combination of, of Teague and Covington as as a as a scenario, and and I I could see that being good for, for from the Warriors' perspective because obviously they they would like a, a wing replacement for the with the departures of, of Durant and Iguodala. They need another guy like a Covington on that roster, and then Teague can kind of just fill that role that Russell will be playing for them this year. Um, but, but yeah, it is, it is debatable whether it's actually helpful to Minnesota if that trade were to happen. You know, the, uh, uh, you're, you're absolutely right that the, the, the Timberwolves defense was actually really solid, you know, in the, in the aftermath of that Jimmy Butler deal, Covington coming in there when he was healthy, uh, they, they looked pretty sound on, on that end of the floor, but then Covington gets hurt and it, uh, it was kind of a disaster from then on out. Covington was was a defensive player of the year candidate when he was playing with us. It it was really amazing to watch him play off the ball, just ball hawking, getting steals every which way. It was uh, incredible to watch. Yeah, and uh, you know, you you mentioned the not only the I, I think going from from Teague to D'Angelo Russell is a downgrade defensively, but then if you also just take Covington off of the roster, uh, yeah, that would be. Uh, that would spell doom for for the Timberwolves' chances at ever being a good defensive team. But yeah, it'll be fascinating to see, and I think a lot of it just comes down to how much uh, this uh, this Timberwolves organization loves D'Angelo Russell if they're willing to part ways with with a, a role player of Covington's caliber. Uh, but where do you see a Kogi moving on from from that impressive rookie season? Do you think he's uh, he's going to take another leap? I think he's going to be a lot of the same. Um, I think the second half of the season, he was a little bit more disciplined defensively, um, but the effort never waxed or waned, um, and that's something you can uh, expect going into the next season as well. Um, same with the shooting. Um, it looks consistent, but it doesn't. Like, there are there's some bad misses. There's some air balls. Um, but, you know, Going into the season, like, throughout last season, he was just, he, he, he shot the ball more confidently, and he didn't hesitate as much, um, you know, towards the end of the season. I think that's going to be important, um, just that willingness to shoot. Um, 
and we'll just see where the percentage lies. But uh, we'll, I mean, it's you'll you'll get what you you know you're gonna get from a Kogi, and that's effort. Yeah, I, I certainly was was impressed with with what he uh, he brought to the table as a rookie. Uh, it'll it'll be fun to see him moving forward and and yeah, with with him now and and Culver, uh, it it will be fascinating for me to see you know how Wiggins stacks up on this roster. Uh, obviously, he signed that uh, that max extension, so he's under contract with the Timberwolves for a long time, and, and it doesn't appear like any NBA teams are willing to touch that contract as of now. Uh, but but even having said that, is, is this potentially a, a kind of a make-or-break season for Andrew Wiggins? I think so. Um, I think, like, even in a bad situation, he's going to be at least mildly productive. Um, I don't think he's ever going to live up to the contract that he's on right now. Um, and, you know... This whole Timberwolves season pretty much hinges on whether Wiggins can can figure it out, um, figure out how to make a, an impact on the floor. Yeah, it's uh, he obviously is going to be important, especially if he's playing. You know, last year he played seventy three games, played over thirty four minutes a game. If he's playing that much and and playing as poorly as he did, that's uh, that's not a good sign for for the Timberwolves' hopes uh, as far as competing for the postseason. Uh, but uh, another interesting aspect, you know, is the whole Carl Anthony Towns situation. After the Butler trade, he was absolutely tremendous last season, and it feels like this is finally the year, uh, even though he was drafted uh, drafted number one overall a few seasons ago, it finally feels like it's time where, okay, this is Carl Anthony Towns' team, and uh, he can... He can uh, officially assume the reins of, of trying to carry this group. Do you expect this to be a, a, a superstar turn for uh, for Towns? I mean, if it's anything like post-All-Star Towns, yeah. He, I mean, I think he just missed on All-NBA. I think this upcoming season he, he will end up All-NBA. I think he's really trying to, to be the leader of this team. Like, they had a trip to the Bahamas, you know, working on team chemistry and things like that. I think they were playing, like, a volleyball game. You know, a lot of fun stuff in the Bahamas. Um, And I think going into the season, there's good vibes going into the season. That's, you know, drastically different from where it was at last season. Yeah, so uh, what what sort of projection do you have for for this Timberwolves season, Stuart? You know, the the Western Conference seems to have gotten even better somehow than it was last season. Uh, The Timberwolves are going to be in the mix, uh, I would imagine, anywhere in the, you know, 13 to uh, 7 or 8 range in the conference. Uh, How do you see them stacking up? Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's, you know, top tier of the West. I mean, even if you're just looking just at the division alone, I mean, you got the Jazz who got better, got great acquisitions. Uh, You got the Blazers who are always pretty steady. I know they made a lot of different changes, um, but they're a really solid regular season team. Nuggets, I think they're going to regress a little bit, but they're still going to be a pretty good team. They got Jokic as an offensive engine, so... I think they'll have 
you know, they'll get plenty of wins during the regular season. So, I mean, that's already three playoff potential playoff teams from the division. And, you know, Thunder could be pretty good early on. We, we'll see how their roster looks towards or after the trade deadline. But, I mean, if you're just looking at, um, like, their net ratings, you know, Jazz were plus 5.2, Blazers were plus 4.2, Nuggets were plus 4, and the Wolves were negative 1.5. So they have a lot of ground that they have to gain. Um, it's tough. I don't see them really getting any higher than, you know, like you said, the 7th. Um, honestly, I don't see the 7th. It's like, if anything, it's going to be the 8th seed. Because, I mean, you got the top tier in the West, uh, you know, the L.A. teams, Utah, Houston. And then you got, like, you know, good playoff bets like San Antonio, Golden State, Portland, Denver. You know, and that's eight teams right there. And now you're battling, you know, a very talented Dallas team, uh, an up-and-coming Sacramento team. And you got the Pelicans, too. You know, it's just going to be a, a long season. Um, they're going to have to start off on the right foot. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bloodbath in that conference. I it mean, really is. There's, uh, you know... I would say Phoenix and and Memphis are are the two teams that I would say are for sure non playoff teams and yeah. and thirteen <laughs> thirteen teams uh, can actually compete for it. Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to see. But yeah, who who do you imagine is uh, is starting at the four for this squad? Is it going to be Jake Lehman? You know, I have no clue. I mean, <laughs> I, I think Covington's best spot would be at the three. I know a lot of people say, oh. You know, play small ball four, but I think that's a lineup reserved just for you know closing lineups or in small stretches. I don't think Covington has the the type of girth to just you know be a, a four full time. Um, I'd rather have him out on the perimeter and you know being the tag the tagger on defense and, and ball hawking in that sense. Um, so I mean, like to me, I see Vonley, but I don't know if he's the the guy that'll end up as a starter layman i think is another smaller guy for for the four spot and i think usually for for a starting lineup teams tend to go bigger um but i don't know what do you think yeah i mean i i agree with you that i think von lay would be the the best option there i just don't know if that's what what they're gonna end up with i yeah i i kind of i i wouldn't be shocked if layman is the is the starter even if he plays more of that uh, you know the the keith bogans role where he starts uh, the the first and third quarters and plays about six minutes and then doesn't come back in uh but but yeah town's shooting there's gonna be a lot of different options at the four because you can play a guy like Jordan Bell, who usually is the center, but I think he could play some four. Yeah, the uh, the Vonley certainly I think brings more to the table, whereas Layman is basically out there as a as a shooter, and then and and you know they they do need some some more shooting because Carl Anthony Towns is an excellent post player, an excellent offensive player that will draw double teams and. And with the likes of, of Teagan Wiggins not being the greatest shooting backcourt in the world, uh, you know, obviously Covington can really shoot it, but uh, getting another shooter out there uh, would, wouldn't be the worst option in the world. But yeah, it, it is really fascinating to me just the question of like, 
you know, I think this team won, what, 36 games last year? And whether or not this roster is actually better or worse, you know, obviously there, there are a lot of changes on the margins. Uh, and, and obviously going into the season, they don't have Jimmy Butler, which is a big differentiator. Uh, but, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think this team has, uh, has a higher ceiling than they did last year? Uh, I don't know about higher ceiling. I feel like they're going to end up in the same range. Um, but I think the, the team chemistry is going to be the biggest factor going in in terms of the difference between last year. You know, considering the chaos that they were going through, it's kind of it was surprising they even got to 36 wins. But they're always in that, you know, area with the, that tier with the Lakers where it's like, yeah, they're, you know, still, you know, mathematically possible to get in the playoffs, but it's like not expected whatsoever. Um, I kind of see them, you know, being in that range for most of the season and then right at the end tailing off because the chances are so low. Um, so that is essentially the same as last season. Yeah, I, uh, I, I pretty much agree with that. I think they're on the outside looking in as far as the playoffs are concerned. Again, uh, assuming, uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns doesn't go just supernova, you know, he could have a season where he's in the MVP conversation and basically drags the team to the postseason. That is, uh, I definitely could see that as a, as a possibility for one of the outcomes for this team. But, uh, Stuart, was there anything else you uh, you wanted to talk about as far as uh, the Timberwolves were concerned before we, we move on to, to D. Wade's legacy? I mean, I think moving forward, the biggest decision that, they made as a whole is, you know, getting Gerson Rosas as the president of basketball operations. You know, I think just the the search that they had for, for who would take that position is a very good sign for where this franchise is going because, you know, they had a very thorough, competent search. Um, and they had they brought in some good candidates like Michael Winger from the Clippers or I don't know Trajan Langdon that well, but if he's coming from the Nets, it's like they're picking guys from, you know, front offices that that have had some recent success, um, some solid front offices. So I like the the way that they went about that search, um, and I think they ended up with a really good get. Uh, and you know, just now that they have like an established front office, you know, there's no more uncertainty about who's going to be the coach it's going to be ryan saunders they i think they insulated him with a lot of uh really good assistant coaches like david vanterpool who is in portland um we got pablo prigioni who is their summer league coach but they got a lot of good guys you know backing him up yeah and as far as uh gershon rosas it's uh you know this this culver pick is is the first big move that he made so that's uh we're gonna find out i i guess it'll take a few years before we know for sure but uh we'll maybe get a, an early indication of uh of of his draft resume if if culver really pops and and, and impresses as a rookie but yeah the the ryan saunders uh you know he was the the interim coach last year and then they they made it permanent this off season. Uh, you know, he's a guy that obviously has been around the game for the entirety of his life and, and seems to be a, a, a young, you know, he's, he's one of the younger coaches in the league, a, a good personality uh, and a guy that, uh, that definitely knows his stuff. But yeah, it'll, it'll be uh, uh, for, for both the head coach and the, uh, 
and the decision makers in this organization this year will be a you know a, a test out process. Yeah, and there's this approach that Rosas has that I, I really like to use this phrase in one of the press conferences. I think it was about D'Angelo Russell, but it would make sense for how the draft went too, where he said smart aggression followed by smart restraint. Um, and I think he used the word diligent a lot, where they do their diligence, they look through their options, um, and if the price is right, they'll make the move. Um, and you can see that in the moves they've made and kind of uh, activity they've had this past offseason. You know, I look forward to, to what that means, you know, not just next season, but for the future, building around towns. Yeah, uh, they, uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, certainly, again, as you stated, uh, his post-All-Star play, uh, he's definitely a number one caliber guy, and if they can if they can build a, a decent supporting cast around him, hopefully in the future this, this Timberwolves team and organization will be a, a contender in the Western Conference. It'll be certainly intriguing to see as the years go on. But, uh, Stuart, let's move on now to, to, to discuss... Dwayne Wade and, and his legacy, of course, Wade retiring uh, after this past season with the Miami Heat. Uh, but uh, when, when you think about Wade and his career, what, is, what are some of the first things that come to your head? Well, first thing, of course, is the 2006 Finals. Um, I might be dating myself, but you know that was like one of my first significant basketball memories, watching those finals and always... You know, scrambling to find a TV to, to watch those games. Um, and getting, you know, losing the first two games and then essentially sweeping after that and scoring 36 or more points in those final four games, he really just took over. And, you know, that was his first, like, iconic moments. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've actually got the, the stats from, from those finals. Uh, he averaged... points per game, 7.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists, 2.7 steals, and uh, had a true shooting percentage of 57.2. And also, uh, uh, this is a little bit of the controversy of that series, but he averaged 16 free throw attempts per game. I think there was one game where he shot over 25, which was more than the entire Mavericks team. Uh, But uh, certainly that was... Uh, a phenomenal performance, whether he got the benefit of the call or not, he was sensational. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, there's there's um, there's a lot of talk right now on Twitter with uh, Kobe Bryant trying to be the man while, while Shaq is on the team. Well, Dwayne Wade went out and he just did that. So, I mean, you got to give credit to him there. Right. As far as uh, my... My lasting memory of Dwayne Wade, the most impressive thing I can remember is that 08-09 season. Uh, that season was pretty much the closest approximation to, to Michael Jordan for, for a, a single season. You know, that year, Wade averaged over 30 points a game, 5 rebounds, 7.5 assists, over 2 steals, 1.3 blocks for a shooting guard, uh, you know, true shooting percentage of 57.4 on over 36% usage. Uh, and then not only that, but then to also, uh, I believe he was the second team all defense that year. So that two-way play with that sort of workload on offense and doing it still some pretty pretty efficiently, again, one of the greatest seasons ever. Yeah, just completely dominant on, on both ends of the floor. Like you said, he's 
you know, part of his legacy is going to be going down as, as one of the greatest, you know, guard shot blockers ever. Yeah, he, uh, uh, he consistently averaged, uh, you know, close to a block a, a game every season. Um, and, and looking at just his, uh, his overall resume, he made 13 all-star appearances, uh, three first-team All-NBAs, three second-team All-NBAs, and uh, three third-team All-NBAs, and, and of course the, the finals MVP as we, uh, we talked about that 2006 performance, and then also a three-time champion. Uh, but, but I think something that uh, maybe hurts Dwayne Wade's reputation amongst the, the casual or average basketball fan is the idea that when LeBron James came, he was delegated to that number two role. Even though for the first couple of years of that heat run, he was still you know, arguably the second best player in the league, or at worst, a top five guy. I mean, yeah, when we talk about the Heatles, you know, a lot of times it's LeBron and then Wade, you know, Batman and Robin. But let's be honest, it was Batman and Batman, all right? Because <laughs> Dwayne Wade is, I mean, maybe his, his statistical season doesn't compare, but he was the same player. Uh, we all know it. And, and, like, while LeBron was, like, a you know two-time MVP when he's with the Heat and he's a finals MVP and a champ, you know, Dwayne Wade will always be God in Miami. Yeah, and uh, I-, I talked about this with, with uh, Evan on my uh, episode when we discussed Dirk Nowitzki, but it is refreshing to see uh, some of those players that uh, you know have that uh, loyalty to an organization, and even though Dwayne Wade left the Heat for a couple of years, he was always a, a Miami Heat player through and through and, and was uh, you know fortunately able to come back for his last couple of years and retire as a member of that organization. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was he was sensational. Another season that I thought was really impressive was the year before LeBron James came. Uh, he was able to take a, a Miami Heat team that really I think their second best player may have been Udonis Haslam, and they won uh, close to forty seven games. Uh, you know he was he was absolutely sensational, and that also made that team seem good enough that uh, LeBron and and Chris Bosh were tempted to come. Yeah, I mean, he really made it happen, you know, made the decision for LeBron, the decision for Chris Bosh a little bit easier when you know, hey, this guy that I'm teaming up with, he's one of the best. Yeah, and and people forget, too, how great Wade was, you know, pretty much right away. You know, he played three years in college, so he was an older rookie. But uh, by his second year, he was already an all-star level player. And, uh, you know, that, that 2006 season, I believe, was his third or fourth in the league. So he was uh, already, you know, one of the best players in the league pretty early on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the thing that hurts him in, in my mind as far as rocketing up to potentially being like a, a top 10 player of all time is just that he didn't quite have the longevity, you know, even going back to the to the, uh, the 2014 NBA Finals, that final year in which that LeBron and uh, was there in Miami. Uh, he already, uh, you know, with, with some knee issues and some other things, was already starting to break down and uh, just didn't quite have uh, enough of a uh, extended prime to, to be up there with, uh, you know, the, the likes of, uh, of a Kobe Bryant, for instance. Yeah, I mean, when, when we're talking about legacy, I guess, before you do that, we, we got to, like, define 
you know, what factors in the legacy. Is it longevity? Is it their peak prime? Is it the length of their prime? Because you're going to have, you know, different top guys if you're for those different categories. Yeah, and, and certainly his peak was, was excellent. Um, I, I like to factor in all of those things and, and, and try to balance them out as much as possible. Uh, he certainly, to me, is, uh, you know, I, I talked about how I think Dirk is, is a top 20 guy. I think Dwayne Wade is a top 20 guy of all time as well. Do you agree with that? Uh, I don't really like to do historical ranking like that. Um, all I know is they're both legends. I think it's fitting to to talk about Dwayne Wade right after talking about Dirk. I think, you know, facing off in the finals twice is... Um, you know, Dirk getting his revenge against the Heat. I think, I think there's some good narratives between those two. Yeah, the uh, the whole Dwayne Wade and and Dirk and how their careers kind of came together was was really interesting. As you mentioned, the matching up in in multiple NBA Finals, and uh, there was that whole thing in the in the 2011 Finals where LeBron and and uh, Dwayne Wade mocked Dirk for being sick. I believe that was in Game Two. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then of course both of them uh, having their final seasons in the same year, and uh, both getting Adam Silver's uh, invite to the uh, to the All Star game, and, and getting one I think last it was a hurrah. Very classy move by Adam Silver. Yes, it was, uh, and it was. Uh, I think it uh, it it worked really well, especially with Dirk. Uh, I think he went four for four in his like six minutes. He was out there. It was uh, it was really fun to see those guys, and I think both teams. And all the players uh, involved were, were happy to see those guys out there and, and were loving that, uh, that situation. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the other interesting thing, you know, speaking again to Dwayne Wade and, and Dirk's connection, there was a little controversy with, with uh, NBA 2K20 and that Dwayne Wade was on the cover of that game and uh, Dirk wasn't. And uh, basically, the the representative for 2K came out and said the the reasoning behind that was that Dwayne Wade is iconic, and uh, to a lot of people, that inferred that Dirk wasn't. I mean, that's how I would hear it as, but I mean, no one's questioning uh, Dirk as being an icon either. I mean, when you think of his one-legged step back, you know, this is almost turning into a Dirk, uh, <laughs> a Dirk thing at the end of this pod, but... I mean, both are deserving. Um, you know, maybe Dwayne Wade, uh, maybe Dwayne Wade was the right right choice, but I mean, I don't think there's a wrong choice. Yeah, the uh, both. Uh, you know, I'm gonna miss watching both of them play. Dwayne Wade. You know, you talked about the uh, the the one one legged fall away for Dirk. Dwayne Wade to me the the uh, the 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 fade away, but then also that kind of mid range uh, bank shot, uh, a couple of oh, his patented pump fake too. Yes, um, you know a lot of a lot of memorable things that I think a lot of players are are mimicking and and will mimic for uh, for the rest of NBA history. But uh, Stuart, this was uh, this was a lot of fun talking Timberwolves and and Dwayne Wade and a little bit of Dirk as well. Thanks so much for for coming on and taking the time. Yeah, of course, Garrett. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there. 
that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar and uh, have a great rest of your day.